Welcome to Kansas Reflectors Podcast. I'm Tim Carpenter, and today we turn to a significant policy debate at the Capitol that stretches back nearly a decade. It's the question of whether Kansas ought to expand eligibility for Medicaid health benefits to about 150,000 of the state's lower income individuals. Most of these folks hold down jobs but make too much to be eligible under the state's meager Medicaid system or too little to afford private health insurance. Governor Laura Kelly, the Democratic governor in her second term, has made no secret of her desire to include Kansas in the now 40 states that have broadened Medicaid eligibility. The 2017 Kansas legislature passed a bill to do so, but Republican Governor Sam Brownback vetoed it. The House slipped a bill over the line in 2019, but it was ignored by the Senate. The current GOP leadership in the House and Senate say they won't budge on this issue. Now comes Laura Kelly, who has conducted since September a whistle-stop tour of the state to examine advantages to reaching deeper with Medicaid under a law that provides federal funding for 90% of expansion costs in Kansas. Governor Kelly is here to talk about what she's learned on the road and how it might serve to jumpstart debate at the Capitol during the 2024 legislative session. Welcome, Governor. Thanks for being here. Delighted to be here, Tim. So to begin with, let's go to the 25,000-foot level, thereabouts. And Kansas is bracketed by four states that adopted Medicaid expansion. Why should Kansas join with Oklahoma, Colorado, Nebraska, and Missouri? Well, the better question would be, why not? You know, there is absolutely no good reason to not expand Medicaid here in the state of Kansas. You know, the fact that our four surrounding states have done that uh, make it very clear that this is not a partisan issue. Uh, you know, three of those states are Republican-led. One is Democrat-led. Uh, you know, this is just an issue of what is in the best interest of Kansans. And expanding Medicaid is clearly in the best interests of Kansans, both those who would be eligible for Medicaid, but also those who work in the health field, the expansion of jobs that would be available, the ability to get reimbursed for the services that they provide, and protection of overall hospitals. Mm -hmm. This policy of Medicaid expansion, depending on the public opinion survey, is supported by about, we'll say, two-thirds of Kansans. More precisely, expansion is favored by a majority of Republicans, independents, and Democrats. So why hasn't the legislature responded accordingly during the past handful of years? It beats me. Um, you know, the fact of the matter, it's closer to three quarters of Kansans, about 75 percent. Anytime you do a poll, it's 70 to 80 percent of Kansans want Medicaid expansion. The, the legislature, when I was in the legislature, actually passed Medicaid expansion back in 2017. It was vetoed by the then governor, uh, and we have not been able to get it passed uh, through both chambers uh, since that time. Uh, there really is no particularly good reason for that other than ideology. You advocated for Medicaid expansion when you were in the Kansas Senate representing Topeka, and you've offered five pr proposals, I think, uh, to expand it that were actually designed as you went along to try to address concerns of opponents. In January, you'll put forward a sixth. I think that's the number six. I will. I will put forward the this the sixth proposal, and, and yes, you're right. the The previous five proposals had all been tailored to address issues that had been brought up by the opposition the year before. You know, but every year we'd offer an amended proposal, and they just move the goalposts so that we were never able uh, to to get to either even debate, much less a vote on Medicaid expansion. Uh, this sixth time, uh, we're taking a different tact. Mm -hmm. We'll get to your tour in, in a second here. But in this long debate, do you think skeptics have 
made disingenuous arguments, negotiated in bad faith, or just flat out lied about what was going on? I think it's all all of the above. Um, you know, we we know uh, because so many other states, forty. Uh, have expanded Medicaid, and some of them have had Medicaid expansion for quite some time, that there is really good data out there now that demonstrate that all of the arguments that have been used to not expand Medicaid have been debunked. You know, the fact that states couldn't afford it. You know, there's not one of those 40 states uh, that would go back uh, and eliminate Medicaid expansion uh, because it has not been uh, the the hit on the budget that everybody claimed it would be. Um, you know, we know that it is not a service just for able-bodied people who don't want to work. Uh, we know that most of the people uh, out there who are eligible for Medicaid expansion are working oftentimes two jobs. Mm -hmm. We can throw a lot of numbers at this conversation, but at this juncture, let's, I want to concentrate on three perhaps. So opponents of Medicaid expansion say Kansas shouldn't offer benefits to people unwilling to get better jobs to mm -hmm. that offer health insurance or, or to earn wages that will allow you to buy coverage. So statistically, what portion of the 150,000 potential beneficiaries are employed? Just, just help us with the numbers about what we're talking about there, this cluster of uninsured and so forth. Great. We figure out of the 150,000 who would be eligible for Medicaid expansion, at least 75% of them are currently employed. But they're employed in places like your restaurants, uh, maybe in construction, uh, maybe in a daycare center or a nursing home uh, where employer-based insurance is not provided. Uh, so they're out there working. They're not sitting home. They just are not eligible uh, for health insurance through their employer nor are they eligible for Medicaid you could have the way we're structured jobs, now. And none of them provide health coverage, and you still not make enough money to afford it. It's possible that you could do that, yes. Yeah. Kansas has surrendered in the ballpark of $7 billion in federal funding for Medicaid by stiff-arming the program since 2014. So if it was adopted in Kansas, how much federal cash would annually flow into the health care system in the state? We estimate that we bring in about $700 million per year just from the federal portion of Medicaid expansion. Um, you know, and that doesn't factor in, you know, the increase in the number of jobs uh, that we would see. We estimate about 23,000 jobs would be created um, from Medicaid expansion, and that obviously would generate more revenue coming into the state. Yep. Also, when Medicaid expansion is discussed, I'm not sure folks understand the income level of people the reform would touch. And I say that as a reporter who's written many stories about this, and this is something I really didn't have clear in my mind until recently. So right now, a single mother of two children making more than 9500 or so would, would be excluded from Medicaid expansion as it, as it exists right now. Yes. So... So help us understand the target audience of, of extending this preventive and emergency health care to people. Where is the zone of people that would benefit from expansion? I actually answered your question too quickly when I said expansion. The, a woman with two kids making $9,500 a year uh, would not be eligible for Medicaid uh, as it currently exists in our state. She could get current Medicaid in Kansas she, if she made less than 9500 exactly. a year. But since you make 9500 and a penny, you're out. 
she's not eligible. Yeah. So she falls into that donut hole that we've got here in the state of Kansas right now, where she makes too much to get Medicaid through our regular Medicaid program, but she doesn't make enough. She'd need to make $25,000 or more in order to be eligible to get uh, her health insurance on the exchange where it could be the premiums could be subsidized. So she's just in this big hole uh, where she's eligible for nothing. So the Medicaid expansion would target the people making more than 9500 and less than this 2500 I mean, that's still a modest income for people with a couple of kids. It's, it's a very modest income. It's tough. Yep. But, even, but at 25000 it was recognized that they would need subsidies in order to go on to the exchange. The national exchange. And, it, yep. and so this woman uh, would be able to go on to the exchange should she start to make uh, upwards of 25000 She could go on the exchange and have her premiums heavily subsidized, if not totally. A grassroots tour of the state has included, I may not have all the cities here, but Pittsburgh, Garden City, Topeka, Manhattan, Wichita, Salina, Overland Park, Emporia. You've met... And Winfield. <laughs> Winfield, very good. You've met people uh, that Medicaid expansion would help. Can you can you touch upon some of that personal interaction that you've had? Well, it has been really uh, interesting because we've, we've sort of focused on various industries or stakeholders in these, in the tour. Uh, and, you know, we had a really interesting and eye-opening discussion with our farmers and ranchers uh, in Manhattan and how Medicaid expansion would really benefit uh, that community. Uh, but probably the most poignant uh, example I can think of uh, was when we had the, the roundtable here in Topeka, uh, and one of the panelists on there was actually a woman who has chronic mental health issues, uh, and had been yo-yoed back and forth. You know, uh, you know, if she got a job, she'd make too much money to then be eligible for Medicaid. Uh, and so she'd have to quit work in order to get back on Medicaid to be able to have her prescriptions uh, paid for. Uh, so she was just, it was probably the worst ever uh, environment for her to live in where, you know, she's almost forced not to work. Uh, so that she can take care of her mental health issues. Uh, if she goes to work, which is what everybody wants everybody else to be doing, what she wanted to be doing, uh, you know, she would lose her coverage and then, you know, stop being able to afford her medications and spiral downward again. So it was just a vicious cycle uh, that she was on that was completely unnecessary. If we'd expand Medicaid, you know, this woman could do what she wants to do, which is to work as much as her illness will allow her to work, um, but still be able to manage it. Mm -hmm. In Pittsburgh, you visited Ascension Via Christi Hospital and heard from hospital officials in the region who said Medicaid dollars, for example, in Oklahoma and Missouri are being used to draw hard-to-hire health workers out of southeast Kansas into those other states. Do you get a sense it's a problem with Kansas being in an island? You know, like, oh. would it be the similar story in Kansas City? Absolutely. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a shortage of healthcare workers anyway, uh, you know, all across this country, quite honestly. Uh, but what we have done to exacerbate that by not expanding Medicaid is really immoral. And we have impacted our 
particularly our border communities along the Oklahoma border and along the the southern uh, border uh, with Mississippi, uh, where you know there's a lot of competition right across that. And I, and I also say Nebraska. You know, we have a, a lot of healthcare workers there who will just go on up uh, to Kearney and work there instead because they can get reimbursed for their services or the the facility, the the hospital uh, can pay them a better wage. Right. Yeah, it could definitely happen in Colorado and and uh, Nebraska mm-hmm. as well. Um, it should be said that when you think about providing affordable, accessible health care through Medicaid expansion, uh, thinking here about rural comedi- communities, it could potentially preserve a clinic or a hospital, help preserve it, but it's not actually a cure-all. I mean, there could be health facilities that are struggling for other reasons, just don't have the population base to carry the load, just don't have the resources to, to pay a specialist and the, the patient's being drawn elsewhere. I don't know. It's not a cure-all necessarily, right? It's not a cure-all, but it certainly is an essential tool. Uh, you know, without Medicaid expansion, you know, we, we're sort of guaranteeing the demise of some of these facilities. Uh, Medicaid expansion would allow uh, for these facilities to generate a revenue stream uh, that might be enough to push them into survival mode. Uh, but if not that, uh, then at least buy them some time to work on their their business model, essentially, and see if it can be revised uh, or modified and also uh, give them time to figure out ways that they might be able to draw down more federal money. The financial status of these rural hospitals can't be taken lightly because at least one assessment indicated 60 of 104-ish rural mm-hmm. hospitals in Kansas were on a list of being at risk of closing. So... Just imagine what the devastation of rural communities would be like if all those facilities closed. I don't know. You drive three hours to go to Wichita. What are they? Do they have the capacity even there? Well, the answer is no. They they don't have the capacity, uh, nor is it rational uh, to uh, think that our rural communities uh, can survive uh, if they don't have access uh, to health. Uh, services within a reasonable distance. Uh, you know, I mean, we we know in our rural communities what what helps them thrive is schools and hospitals. You know, those tend to be the largest employers uh, in those rural communities, uh, and obviously uh, a reason for people to stay, people with young kids to stay, uh, and older people who need access, quick access to health services. Mm-hmm. In several locations on your tour, you, Medicaid expansion was discussed in terms of workforce development. You've touched on that, but also pure economic development. Um, it's funding to hire and retain nurses and doctors, for example, uh, but also would make health facilities more resilient uh, in areas with sparse populations. Do you believe that's true? Oh, I know it's true. Uh, that uh, we've seen that happen in other states that have expanded Medicaid, uh, that their communities, uh, their their facilities are much healthier um, and much less likely to close than uh, the states that have not expanded Medicaid. Mm. Interesting. In Wichita, you hosted a roundtable discussion with law enforcement folks, and uh, they grapple daily with people in jail with mental health and substance abuse issues, but there was the thought that Medicaid expansion 
could add something to the safety net in the state and maybe reduce arrest, maybe reduce public costs of, of that kind of care in a jail? Well, it, it's true, I'm not, and that's one of the things that we need to make sure that we put into our uh, Medicaid expansion proposal is that you know we, we want Medicaid to be accessible uh, to folks who are in our correctional system, mm -hmm. both on local level and on the state level. It will reduce the cost for those counties uh, and the state considerably uh, if Medicaid is expanded and, and those folks are eligible for it. Okay. You, you touched upon your stop in Topeka and your interaction with an individual who was kind of caught in the crossfire of, of Medicaid and Medicaid expansion. But it was, it was said there that uh, people running a mental health facility said the cost burden of their clients would be significantly reduced if they had coverage in Medicaid. They would perhaps get more consistent counseling and care. I think a large percentage of them. Uh, well, you, you think that, does that... Well, you know, I used to work in the mental health world, and there is probably nothing more important uh, than a good diagnosis, good medication regimen, uh, and consistency of care. Uh, over time in dealing with chronic mental health issues. So uh, the fact that we have not expanded Medicaid has left a lot of these folks in the lurch where they're just yo-yoing back and forth between treatment, not no treatment, medication, no medication. Uh, if we want to do anything to help these folks, we need to expand Medicaid. One of the last uh, tour stops I went to that you know, was in Overland Park, and there was a group of clergy there that spoke about expansion in religious terms. And many of those people said the scripture urged uh, individuals to help the sick and needy, and they pointed to Medicaid expansion as one avenue for living God's word. And how, how did you respond to that perspective? I, I presume you've given it some thought before. Oh, I have given it some thought. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I was raised Catholic, uh, and very much in the in the framework of Sister Therese, who was part of that panel, mm -hmm. uh, that. You know, it's, it's really about social justice and making sure uh, that we are a brother's keeper uh, and we have that responsibility as human beings. Uh, I think the, the faith community that came together uh, in Overland Park uh, were so eloquent in uh, espousing uh, those values and those concerns and really um, suggesting to legislators that they need to uh, take a really good look uh, at what they're doing uh, to support uh, folks who are in need. I do wonder sometimes if politicians who have helped been an obstacle to Medicaid expansion for whatever reason might look back in five to ten years and know that they denied a generation of Kansans preventive health care. I just wonder if they would have a regret about that. I think there are some in the legislature, in fact, I know there are some in the legislature who are really um, distressed that they have not had the ability, that they've not been allowed uh, to debate and vote uh, for Medicaid expansion because they truly do believe that it is in the best interests of their constituents and the state as a whole uh, to expand Medicaid. So, yeah, I think there are some uh, who are actually angry uh, that they've not been uh, given the opportunity. And then, uh, yeah, I think some who originally were resistant, uh, you know, have really uh, come to believe uh, that it is the right thing to do. Another study I ran across, the Institute for Policy and Social Research at the University of Kansas, uh, looked at 
property taxes collected by counties to support a county hospital or clinic. And in some counties, half a dozen or so, the mill levy collected for the hospital had doubled from 2014 to 2021. 2014 is when Kansas could have expanded mm -hmm. eligibility for Medicaid. So should that be taken into account when legislators look at the pros and cons of Medicaid expansion? It's just one more thing, one more reason to expand Medicaid. Uh, add that to the long laundry list of reasons to expand Medicaid. One of the claims that's been made about Medicaid expansion is that would essentially... If I could go back... I'm sorry, yes, go that. ahead, sure. You know, I mean, when you think about you know, all the talk about tax cuts and all the talk about property tax cuts, mm -hmm. you know, and here would have been an, a real opportunity, maybe not to cut the taxes, but to eliminate the increase in taxes, yeah. in property taxes, which is what they say they want to do. I think a lot of these counties that have expanded property taxes to pay for hospitals have very tiny county populations. So uh, it, they don't have a big, big, robust tax base. So it's kind of difficult question for county commissioners out there to vote on. It is, it is very hard for county commissioners to vote to raise uh, property taxes. And in the smaller counties, it, it's even worse because the burden falls on fewer people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so I was just going to ask, you know, one of the claims about Medicaid expansion is that it would essentially bankrupt the state, that the state couldn't afford its 10% share of the expansion costs. And wild years ago, wild numbers about the costs were thrown about, and they turned out to be kind of bogus. But um, do you think the, the economic churn from expansion would essentially cover the cost or cover part of it? That's what other states have found. Um, you know, we know from our own work that uh, we are paying for things right now that uh, we wouldn't have to pay for if Medicaid were expanded. You know, we, we talked a little bit about corrections before. And, you know, back when we first uh, ran the numbers, we would save $11 million a year on medical costs for the incarcerated. You know, my guess is that it's considerably higher now because those numbers are old. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, right there you've got, let's say, a $15 million uh, decrease in expenses. You put that towards coverage of, of Medicaid expansion. And there are other areas where we would find uh, the same sort of, um, of savings. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm convinced that uh, with the already defined savings and the increased economic activity, you're going to cover the cost of it. We, we won't even notice it. And if we had done it earlier, you know, we actually, you know, we lost out on incentives from the federal government uh, to expand Medicaid. Uh, if you'd done it right out of the gate, the federal government paid for 100 percent of the expansion costs. That's exactly rather right. Rather than the, For the first three years, they would have paid mm -hmm. for 100 uh, percent. And they also would have sent our $7 billion in Kansas taxpayer money back uh, yeah, that's, to our state. When you got a B after the number, that's real yeah, money. It's, it is real money. All right. So... You know, I, I imagine you, you've hinted at this. There's probably some frustration among Democrats, but maybe Republicans, too, about the GOP leadership in the House and Senate strategy of blocking consideration of sometimes any health bill that might be amendable to Medicaid expansion. So in terms of the process, they might be uh, submarining just thoughtful, routine health health bills that Kansas should adopt to avoid a House or Senate floor debate on Medicaid expansion. We know that that has happened, and it will continue to happen until we expand Medicaid. 
So specifically, Senate President Ty Masterson and House Speaker Dan Hawkins have, um, they firmly oppose Medicaid expansion. And uh, they indicated that uh, Fort Scott closed, there was an emergency facility there Mm -hmm. that closed recently. And and, and so people who want Medicaid expansion brought that up. Oh, look, there's another thing that went down the tubes because, because we didn't expand Medicaid. But they argued that you're really making empty promises to rural communities because the problem with the Fort uh, Scott facility wasn't Medicaid expansion, uh, that some health facilities are just unsustainable. You think they're right? I think um, we've seen that uh, to be the truth. Um, But what they don't take into consideration is that uh, other states that have expanded Medicaid have not seen the rash of closures uh, that the states that have not expanded Medicaid have seen. So we know there's a correlation. As we said before, Medicaid expansion is not the be-all and end-all to the issues facing our rural hospitals, our rural communities. Uh, But it is a tool, and we know without it, uh, we'll be just, well, we'll continue to be facing greater closure numbers than states that have expanded it. So maybe something more than an empty promise there. In addition, the House Speaker is, uh, I think, generally viewed as insensitive comments about uh, your advocacy for Medicaid expansion. He uh, suggested that uh, he, he pointed to your ideas about maybe uh, Medicaid expansion affecting crime and jails and mental illness and workforce development. Uh, then suggested that, well, actually, the next thing you're going to mention is that Medicaid expansion would solve world peace or end people, the, the practice of people slow driving in the left lane of highways or actually resolve uh, the debate on the issue of, of whether the chicken or the egg came first. So do you think that that kind of dialogue is detrimental to the debate on the issue or is it just part of the tear it all down politics that we see out that comes out of Washington every time we turn around? I think it's really regrettable uh, that a very serious issue impacting thousands upon thousands of Kansans and, and actually the state as a whole can be dismissed uh, with such um, cynical, sarcastic comments. They are sarcastic. And this is a, a very important issue, particularly if you're one of these people that, that doesn't have reliable health coverage. Yeah. It's not a laughing matter. I think it's important to put yourself in other people's shoes mm-hmm. uh, when you're thinking about policy uh, here in the state of Kansas, that it's not all about you, uh, that it's about the people and what the people need. Governor, I know you have more to do today. And I'm, I'm just, as we close out here, I'm wondering if you're optimistic about Medicaid expansion in 2024. Will the grassroots av- advocacy be sufficient to turn the dial on the state house? Well, I've tried everything else, uh, so let's see how this goes. But I do think uh, that uh, we will get Medicaid expanded. I hope we get Medicaid expanded in this upcoming legislative session. Uh, But if we don't, it will be the number one uh, issue going into the November 2024 elections. Uh, You know, we know that the people in the state of Kansas want Medicaid expanded. You know, they want those 150,000 people to have access to affordable health care. They also want their $7 billion in their taxpayer money to come back to the state and benefit them and our state as a whole. So, uh, yeah, it's it's not something I wanted to do. I, I avoided going this route uh, for a very long time, uh, but 
uh, you know, if the legislature won't listen to me, perhaps they'll listen to their constituents. Mm-hmm. Governor Laura Kelly, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk about this important issue. And uh, we'll certainly be covering it uh, in the 24th session. So good luck with this. Hey, thanks a lot, Tim. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be talking again. Mm-hmm.